Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, Christmas is all about... All right, let's try this again. You are in a church. When in doubt, if you're asked a question, say, Jesus, you are going to be right. Uh, Christmas is all about... All right. Uh, Christmas is all about Jesus. The central question uh, that I want to ask tonight is, who is Jesus? Because if Christmas is all about him, then I think it would be a good idea for us to answer the question, who actually is Jesus? In the Bible, there's a section in a book called Philippians. Uh, And I believe that this uh, passage, perhaps more than any other in the scriptures, gives us a very concise to the point, but yet powerful uh, uh, description of who Jesus actually is. And this will be on the screen, so you can follow along there. Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I have three quick points or ideas that I would like to submit to you tonight. And I believe that each one of these points answers the question, who is Jesus? The first is this, Jesus is God in a human. Jesus is God in a human. The most radical difference between every other major religion in the world and Christianity is this idea that Christians believe that God literally came to us and indwelt a human. His name is Jesus. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up in the church, this is just an easy fact to just kind of gloss over. Yeah, 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 Jesus is God, I get it. But consider how awesome and how crazy this idea is with me for a moment. The same God that simply just spoke, used his voice box, and the grandeur of the cosmos was created. That powerful same voice took up residence in a helpless baby's cry. The the same God who in heaven right now has these creatures that they've been doing this since, I don't know for how long, since probably before creation— And they're doing it right now, and they're going to do it when you wake up tomorrow and open presents. And they're going to do it when you see Jesus. They sing a song. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They they do this 24-7. And what that song means is, God, there is no one like you. 
and you could search all of creation and there's no one like you. And, and what, may, what makes this a fascinating scene is God is so magnificent, so brilliant, so other that these unbelievable creatures actually have to shield their eyes when they sing this song because they can't look at the face of God. That's how brilliant our God is. And it's that God in that scene, in that throne, who stepped away from it and came down and took up residence in a feeding trough for animals. And rather than hearing holy, holy, holy from unbelievable creatures, he heard farm animals make noise. The same God that told Moses that if he revealed his glory to him, Moses would die. And there's other guys in the Bible, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and John, that when God just speaks to them, they fall down dead in terror of this God. And it's that God who laid his glory aside. We just sang that in Hark the Herald. Laid his glory aside and came down and took up residence in a seven-pound I don't know how big Jesus was, but seven pounds, six ounces. I will just throw that number out there. Bundle of joy. And perhaps the the thing that gets me the most around this time. For the first time since Adam and Eve, two humans named Mary and Joseph were able to touch the face of God. For God to become man, it shows us that God is not some impersonal force disinterested in your life. For God to become man, it shows us the complete opposite, that God is a personal God who's very much interested in your life. In fact, he's interested in the random details of your life. And oh, by the way, those random details aren't random. God cares about the intricacies of your entire life. Life. Jesus doesn't just tell us about God. He shows us what God is like because Jesus is God. Do you not realize the radicalness of this truth? Consider that without Jesus relating to God, understanding God, seeing God on a very human level, that all disappears. But Jesus didn't come to just show us that God exists. He came to show us and do something very specific. He came to accomplish something. He came for a purpose. He came for a mission. And that leads me to my second point. Jesus came to save us through his death. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God and a human. But he's also a man uh, on a mission who came to save us through his death death. The greatest problem facing humanity right now, the greatest problem for you and I right here, 2016, December 24th, is this. And it's been the same problem that humanity has always faced. It's the problem that our relationship with God is broken. All other problems stem from that problem. That There is a separation, a divorce, if you will, between us and God. But if we're honest, I don't think we really live that way or believe that that's actually our greatest problem because our life says a different story. Because I don't know about you, but I, I look around and most of us, and myself included, we are quick to look down instead of up. 
We, we are, instead of looking to God to save us, we are quick to look down and look in, thinking that we possess the ability, believing the lie that we possess the ability to fix ourselves, to fix what's gone wrong in this world, and to save ourselves. I think for many of us, we know that there's something wrong with this world. That's turn on the television. That's obvious. We might even be willing to raise our hand and say, yeah, I probably have some faults. But are we willing to admit that our fundamental problem is the fact that our relationship between us and God is broken? I don't think so. Because we run around thinking we possess the ability to fix what has gone wrong in this world. And rather than turning to God, we turn to ourselves and we turn to other things. But the reality is this. And I, and I, I think we see this in, in the way we celebrate Christmas, though, too, don't we? Like, to, if you look at the way Christmas is set up, and, and if you look at Christmas movies, the message is this. Just believe in yourself. Just look into your heart. Just, just find the good that is in you. Just believe that you have the strength, that you have what it takes follow your own star follow your heart and and if we all rise up and do this together we will possess what it takes to reverse the human humanity's fortune but again the reality is this if we say i can fix myself in my world if we say i can save me then what we are saying is i don't need god why would you need god if you can save yourself and and to say that you don't need god is really a rejection of life and a choosing of death, right? Because God, I like to think of it this way, God is the creator, which means he owns the deed to life. And if you reject him, you're choosing death. But enter Jesus. Jesus loved us so much, he wouldn't allow us to end up in death. He wouldn't allow us to keep continuing to try and fix ourselves and save ourselves, but rather... In the greatest act of irony, Jesus actually used death against itself. And it's through his death that we are saved, that our relationship with God is restored. And if that's restored, then anything else can be fixed. Everything else can be made new. What does it mean to be saved? By the Bible's definition, it means that our relationship with God is restored. It means that we get God. And like I said, if we get God, everything else can be made right. Tim Keller in his book, uh, Hidden Christmas, which I've read this year, which is a fantastic book, uh, he writes this, A God who is only holy would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. A deity that was an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of the modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us. Neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. In Christmas, we get a God that doesn't come down to us and demand that we be better people. We don't get a God that shames us. We don't get a God that comes and says, here's a participation award. I want you to feel better about yourself. That's not our God. Our God comes down to us as a human and restores what is fundamentally wrong in this world, which is us being separated from God. And he does so because he loves us and his creation. John Lennon once sang, So this is Christmas, and what have you done 
Tonight we're going to sing something totally different. We are going to sing, So This Is Christmas, Come and See What God Has Done. My third point is this. Jesus is worth giving our lives to. If you say you believe in Jesus, if you say I accept his teaching, if you say that, yeah, I'm trying my best to follow him, but when you celebrate Christmas, it doesn't radically transform your life. If, if knowing Jesus hasn't literally turned your heart into something different, where you feel and you think differently, where your whole life is turned upside down, and changed from the inside out, then you may be celebrating Christmas, but you have no idea what it's really about. Christmas is about admitting your need for salvation. That is something fundamentally wrong with you and the world, and that you don't possess what it takes to fix it. But Jesus does, and you want that so badly that you're willing to give up everything. You're willing to give Jesus access to every area of your life to get this salvation. But I warn you, this is a very difficult gift to accept because it requires a ton of humility. But consider the humility Jesus showed on the cross. He didn't hog his God privileges, but he laid them aside and came to us. Again, not to shame us, not to demand that we be better, but he entered human history and brought us near to him. Guys, the difference between believing Christmas is just a nice story meant to teach us a lesson about being nice to each other one day out of the year and the difference between believing Christmas is a historical event where mankind met their creator, this God who stepped away from heaven to win back his people and change everything. Those are completely different understandings of Christmas. And tonight, I want to give us a chance to respond to the God who is wanting to speak to you tonight. To the God who actually took on human flesh. To the God who actually came and saved us. To the God who actually is worth giving your life to. That is what Christmas is all about. On your seat around you, you'll find a card that looks like this. There's some very basic information on here. It's just your name, your phone number, and your email. Don't worry, we're not going to sell your stuff to telemarketers. Uh, It's just our our way to to better reach you and and be in touch with you. There's two boxes on there. The first box says, I want to place my trust in Jesus. Maybe for you tonight, this is the first time where you're like, yeah, I, I don't have what it takes to fix myself, to save myself. I recognize that what's fundamentally wrong with me in the, this world is a broken and fractured relationship with God. And I want that to be restored because I believe that Jesus is actually, through that restored relationship, is going to make everything new, including me. If that's you tonight, would you mark that box? And for the rest of us, maybe we've followed, been following Jesus for years, but maybe, maybe you're in this room tonight and you're like, I, I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus. This, what you just said was wacky and weird. Uh, I, I, maybe you've got doubts and maybe you've got questions. Great. We're so glad you're here. We want you to bring those things. We don't want you to walk out of here feeling like we emotionally manipulated you into anything. But we have another box for you. It, it says, I would like more information about our church. You can go ahead and check that box. But there's a condition that I'm going to make with that box. If you check that one, you probably came here with someone tonight. You probably came with your family. You probably came with friends. You probably came with coworkers. If God's stirring in your heart, 
man, don't keep that stuff buried. Talk about it. We, as a church, would love to continue the conversation. Even if you don't live here, I'll call you. We, mark that box. We'll, we'll talk to you. But we want you to begin that conversation with your friends, your family, your coworker. Have this conversation and ask the question, who is Jesus? And I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your life. We're going to sing a song. It's going to be new for some of you. I encourage you to, to use this time as a time of reflection. Spend some, if you need to, spend some time in prayer. Uh, fill out the card. We would love to, to be in touch with you. But you respond to God. This God who came into human history as a human. This God who came to save us. This God who is worth giving your life to. Would we worship the King who became a man?